on this, the Chad Bradforth, episode 53 of your favorite recovery talk show, KB and I welcome Frankie Nicoletti, yet another sober, competitive strongwoman. We were so happy to welcome her to the Sober Highway family and super excited for you guys to hear our discussion with her. And it's all brought to you by our sponsor, Brainwashed Coffee Company. Head over to their website, brainwashedcoffeeco.com, and use the promo code SOBERHIGHWAY, all one word, at checkout, and you'll get $5 off your first order. Plus, if you order three or more bags, you'll get free shipping. All right, get ready, get set, and let's go. This is your favorite recovery talk show, The Sober Highway Podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Two 20-minute sales podcasts. Nice. Yeah. You're killing it. In that in that chat room, I am um Catherine the Sales Barbarian. That's my we all have D D roles. Catherine the Barbarian. Yeah. Well, I mean I dual wield dual wield single-handed axes. That's my typical. Wait, you, you you were actually playing D D on the podcast? No, 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 no. But we have D D roles. Oh you know, like okay. we pretend we're in D. Anyway, and it's a whole thing. Anyway, are you I would you, a- I would actually D&D? love to play D. I would love to play. I've always wanted to play. It's hard as an adult to find people who want to. Do you play? Uh, I have, but I'm not very good at it. I don't know much about it. There are ways you can do it online, but then you have to like, it's kind of time consuming too. You know, it's the whole thing. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard like you can hire a dungeon master to, to like create the story for you, but I don't want to pay someone to do it. Well, you, there's ones that are written already. But having a good DM is key. You have to have somebody who's experienced. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, did you see the uh, the text message from Frankie? No. Because I know we're waiting for her. I don't know exactly what that meant. I want to focus on the ND slash healing. Neurodivergence. So she and I are both. Well, you're ADHD too, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. We're all neurodivergent then. Like, see, this is, this is the thing, Dan, is that like. When it comes to sobriety, like queer neurodivergent addicts, like it's just the Venn diagram is a circle. <laughs> That's true. It's just a circle. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, I don't think I've ever used that term though, neurodivergent. Oh, yeah. So neurodivergent, we're just talking about people with dyslexia, dyscalculia, dyscalculia. That's uh, dyslexia okay. for numbers, um, ADHD, and uh, autism. I'll kind of fall into that bucket. And there's hmm. a couple other, because they're not mental illnesses, right? There are differences in the way that our brain structures actually work, differences in the way we process information. Whereas, you know, depression and anxiety are more like neurochemical. Um, uh, neurodivergence is more like like a structural problem. Like, so, like okay, let me ask you, Dan. Do you have issues with, with sensory stuff? Like you don't like wearing itchy clothes? Food has a weird, weird, like, weird taste, temperature, anything like that kind of? Does it bother me? Yeah, does stuff bother you like that? I mean, I usually run cold, and I don't like the fact that I run cold. But like, but like, uh, if there's a lot of I sound mean, going on around you, you have a hard time sorting out what's going on around you, and it like it irritates you a little bit or something, something along those lines. I would say, I, I mean, like sometimes, like if I'm trying to concentrate on something and there's a lot of noises going on, I find it difficult to concentrate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe um, you're well medicated. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that is a compliment. Like, because, because, because Dan, for me, like, I can't wear, I can't even wear cashmere. Like, I can't wear any kind of wool fabric because it makes my skin feel like it's like on actual fire or like. Oh, I'm not like that. If that's what you mean. I'm not like that. Yeah. Or I'll like, I'll have food that I can eat that I, I'll eat like my favorite, my favorite food. This is my favorite food. And I will eat it for like six weeks. And then all of a sudden I, I hate the taste of it and I can't go near it again for like another year. Like I have these cycles. With this. This is a, that's the neurodivergence kind of emerging. From gotcha. That. Speaking of neurodivergence, she's neurodivergent and she's also a power lifter. Please welcome Frank the Tank. Welcome. Uh, <laughs> hey, how are y'all doing? How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Happy Hobgoblin Sunday. Yeah. This, this what it Should is. I color my hair now? Yes. I, I don't know. Maybe I'll color my hair. You got time before the wedding. You know, I actually asked Michelle, I was like, do you think maybe I could do like some guy lights? And she was actually down for it. Guy lights. 
I yeah. love it. Oh, that's delightful. You never heard that term before? No. Yeah. She, she thought I wanted to, at first she said no, but then I was like, listen, I'm not trying to do like frosted tips. Like I'm not trying to do that. But You're not like, trying to be in sync. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, but like, I want to, I want to put some color on it. She's like, okay, all right. I could, I could be down for that. So we got to, I think she's going to have to pick the color, but either way, I'm fine with that. You know, I mean, treat yourself. Yeah, emo is yeah. making a comeback, right? We got, we got mm-hmm. Machine Gun Kelly singing songs about emos that are way more self-aware than they should be you know that means guy liner should make a comeback guy light should make a comeback let's do it i'm gonna take a hard stance i don't know if you guys agree with me eminem slaughtered mgk Uh, what at the super bowl no just in their rap battle eminem destroyed mgk I don't didn't know they had a rap battle. Was that, I'm like, was that even a question? Was that okay? Was that all right? Here's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> okay. We are old white ladies here. We don't know. <laughs> we don't Wait. know what you're talking about. <laughs> Wait, Frankie, Frankie, how old are you? Uh, should I make you guess? No, I won't make you guess. Uh, I'm almost 37. Okay, so you're not that much older than you guys are not that much older than me. All right, like relax. <laughs> I keep, no, but... I keep, I keep trying to make this the thing, and Dan refuses to let me like just get dentures no, in the wheelchair already because I'm ready for it. No. But, you know, I know Eminem as being like he's one of the best rappers, period. Like it and Machine Gun Kelly is like he is uh, argue, in my opinion, he's a really of all time. he's a really hot actress's boyfriend. He's very okay. inconsequential. Oh. Okay, so yes. here's what I'm gonna do for you. I'm gonna I'm gonna post in the private chat. I'm gonna post a link to MGK's diss track to Eminem, and then I'm gonna post. You know, I'm just gonna do it on my phone. So, so why don't our listeners? Why don't our listeners weigh in on this too? When you hear this episode, get hit us up on the Sober Highway on our TikTok and let us know what mm, you think. Yeah, let us know what you think. Yeah, Machine Gun Kelly or Eminem, and we'll come back with a we'll come back with a review after we're done with this today. And uh, Frankie and I will let you know what we think. That's okay, I'll do it out. I'll do this it after amazing, the episode. Then. Send, it, send it over to us because we'll make it. We'll definitely, we'll definitely take a look at it. All right. Okay. KB, you start while I do Frankie, this. We are so excited to be talking to you today. I am personally pretty excited because having another weightlifting lady on our, on our show is always a yes. delight. We do have a really strong heritage. We had Suzanne, who's the bodybuilder. Um, we've had a couple of other athletes joining us here on the Sober Highway, but we'd love to just get to know you a little bit more. Tell us about your sobriety journey, about your general philosophy, and, and, and who is Frankie so we can kind of get that idea. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, what the listeners might not know is that we connected on TikTok uh, because you, you could be at the big old age of 37 and still make new friends on TikTok. I just need you all to know that. We're not too old for that platform, okay? Uh, <laughs> um, but my name's Frankie. I am a technology leader. I'm a power lifter. I'm a competitive pool player. I have ADHD, autism, and complex PTSD, and I don't drink alcohol. Um, and, uh, I'm really excited to talk to you about this today. My, my life doesn't really fit into neat little boxes, right? I'm, I'm bisexual. I have a wide variety of neurodivergence, right? And there's just like, I just don't fit in spaces. And that could include sobriety, except for like this wonderful moment we're having right here. Right. Because I didn't, I didn't have a, a rock bottom. Like I basically experienced what they call spontaneous sobriety. I woke up one day and said, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, and like, I could enter, you know, if I was to go to Alcoholics Anonymous, that probably wouldn't make me feel like I belonged there. But this kind of podcast, and I listened to like six episodes back, I was like, this, this is tribe right here. This is people who like a wide variety of sobriety journeys, telling their story, making me feel like I belong. Um, and so I just want to say thank you for all the work you're doing too. Well, we, I really appreciate that. That means a lot. It really does. Dan has put so much hard work into curating just the right environment for for this to happen. I'm so glad we're catalyzing that right now. And Frankie, you know, it's really interesting because what we just heard in our last podcast recording, which, you know, of course, came out a week ago, but (laughs) but the the person who was just on, his name's Ronnie, he said the exact same thing from the very first moment about fitting in. And what an interesting topic for us to think about as we have our sobriety journeys, because the reason I drank and did a lot of exciting drugs was because I never felt like I actually fit, 
fit into a community either. And sometimes it's difficult to feel like you fit into a sobriety journey. So tell us a little bit more, like, what does it mean for you to fit in? Do you feel like you've found some community with, with powerlifting? How is that going? Yeah, it's, it's sort of my issues with not fitting in anywhere started from the fact that I grew up in a cult and I was homeschooled until I went to college. So like, I've known from a very young age that I was weird. I just, until about five months ago, maybe even less, I definitely just thought it was because I had a weird childhood. Uh, and then what happened last summer is I had the worst mental breakdown of my life and it could have been worse, right? I wasn't hospitalized. I was able to complete a move across country and start a new job and be really effective in my first 30 days because I operate well in an environment where everything is on fire, um, which is not as good a thing as it sounds. But I, I said, I'm really struggling with XYZ things. And a queer techie who I had just met over the internet said, you have ADHD. And I was like, well, I know I have ADHD, but that doesn't really make a difference. And they were like, I, you should go talk to someone. Uh, and a few months later, I got my first Adderall prescription and I said, holy shit. Let me tell you something about amphetamines, man. Those shits work because I take them and I really have noticed a difference. I I take – I'm prescribed Vyvanse for ADHD, uh, um, which for all intents and purposes, Vyvanse and Adderall are pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Um, Vyvanse is more of a longer acting. It's extended Adderall release, come, right? Yeah, and Adderall comes in instant and extended release, but um, yeah, they're oh my god, it's like night and day. The only problem is if you take it too late, you'll be up all night. But that's so I won't. The point. I won't take it after ten thirty in the morning. Yep, same. Uh, because if I take it later than that, then I start to have issues. Uh, but it it changed mm -hmm. my life, and it didn't change my life because it suddenly made me productive. It changed my life because I was able to sit on the couch and process feelings. Well, the first thing it did is it made me sleepy, which is the same thing that cocaine did to me the couple times I did that when I was younger. And I was like, this is not a party drug. What is this? And they're like, you just didn't take enough. And I was like, I don't think that's true. And now I'm like, oh, it's because <laughs> amphetamines make my brain work differently. It's, this is not a party drug for me. It will never be a party drug for me. And Adderall made me sleepy because I didn't know how to listen to the cues in my body that I was tired. <laughs> which is a horrifying realization to come to. So then you go take a nap and you commit to learning how to listen to your body better, which is the journey that set me on my path to sobriety. So then we have this chain reaction of the, then I have Adderall and all of a sudden I can recognize what are intrusive thoughts, right? And maybe like, let's not do that. This is rumination and we don't have to do that either. I'm like, oh, wow, this would have been great to know 30 years ago. Um, so so then I keep talking to my psychiatrist and my therapist and I'm like, this is great and all, but this doesn't explain everything. And then they're like, ah, so you have complex PTSD. That's the clinical term for your terrible childhood. And I have an adverse childhood experience, a score of four, which is enough for that to be considered an underlying condition with some doctors. Right. Hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. So then I read a bunch of books um, about complex PTSD uh, and learned a bunch of things like, do you know what they mean when they say feel your feelings? Because what the mm -hmm. fuck does that mean? And the day that I learned that that meant that you should be able to feel your feelings in your body and not just in your brain, I was like, why, did, why didn't you say that? I could have learned how to do this a decade ago, man. Why didn't you just say that? So, and, and I'm like an RYT 200. I've been a Pilates reformer instructor. Like I'm not a, a stranger to meditation and yoga. What they don't tell you is that, uh, you know, Meditation is not good for you because it's good to sit in absolute silence for 15 minutes a day. Meditation is good for you because the act of learning how to let feelings and thoughts pass through you without interacting with them is a key life skill. And so if you can learn how to do that, then you can learn how to manage your CPTSD. And so I'm on this journey to do that. And then I say, okay, well, CPTSD explains the rest of the stuff that's wrong with me, but it doesn't explain the rest. And then we arrive at autism and that explains the rest of it. And once I understood that, it suddenly became a lot easier for me to say no to a lot of things, things that would have previously like defined me, including Tinder as a polyamorous bisexual, right? Obviously, there was a period in my life where I was very um, active. And uh, now I'm like, actually, that brings me absolutely no joy. And I should stop that. And I just deleted it. Uh, 
and you know, it wasn't the only thing that I started saying no to. I started saying no to certain types of social engagements or things where I was like, I feel like maybe I should do that, but I don't really want to. So I should just say no. Uh, and then eventually that included drinking too, because I was trying to figure out how to align my workout schedule with my pool league schedule so that I wouldn't have to work out the day after I was drinking. And that was impossible to do. And I noticed that I was using alcohol to mood stabilize if I was getting frustrated in a match. And the benefit of alcohol was not actually that significant. In order to continue to feel the buzz, I would then have to have like shots. And I'm a, I'm a big girl, right? I'm like over 230 pounds. Like I can drink a lot of alcohol before it starts to affect me. But that also means I have to drink a lot of alcohol before it starts to affect me. Which is like... Oh. We don't even care about the calories. We're just caring about the fact that like, in order to keep that buzz, I have to keep taking shots all night mm -hmm. for, for an effect that lasts like 20 minutes and then it's gone. And then I'm right back in whatever emotional hole I was in because I was frustrated in my match and the alcohol has numbed me so I can't read the signals or re-regulate and self-soothe. Mm -hmm. Both of which are great things to do in the game of pool where you need to have the physical ability to stay still and the mental ability to notice if you start to miss shots, why that is incorrect. And the alcohol just damages all of that. A lot of really good pool players here in Vegas, where this is really big, they won't drink when they shoot. They drink afterwards. Now they drink super heavily afterwards. <laughs> they won't drink while they're playing. And for me, if I'm going to be at a bar and I'm going to drink that night, that's a, that's a weird way to draw that line. So I would rather not drink or drink in a night. So then I was like, this is really difficult. And then I ended up not going to a New Year's Eve party. And then I just didn't drink again. Um, and like, I don't have any desire to, but I did like, I, I've just been trying to use this opportunity to pick up on more signals and really listen to my body a little bit more as things come around because I'm sober and I can do that. And even when I do smoke weed, which I do still do, uh, it's very control. I have complete control over when I do that. I know how long the effects are going to last. I don't still feel the effects the next morning. Right. And uh, it's much more controlled than alcohol ever was for me. And uh, it's been, uh, it's been pretty amazing. Yeah, I think what really resonates with, with what you've been saying is, is this idea of, of incremental growth. Like you talked about, well, I experienced this small thing and then I made this small change. And then I did this small thing and then I had this other change. And at, at you, you built yourself a virtuous cycle where things are positively influencing you and you're continuing to learn. But it seems like you're not even really at the end of the journey yet. Like maybe you have like probably some more work to do, right? I think so. I think there's definitely a lot more work to do. And I'm, I'm continuing to grow in my career. I just started a new job. Um, and I have some pretty ambitious goals with both the lifting and pool that I would like to accomplish this year. But like, ultimately, I, I just want my mind to be at peace. And it hasn't been my whole life. And now I now it's like, I can see it. I, I gotta be honest with you, Frankie, I'm a little jealous. <laughs> I'm jealous that you can see the end because my mind is like squirrels juggling knives on treadmills. Like it's just all the time. And that's why there's such a massive overlap between folks who are neurodivergent, like all of us who are in this in this podcast today. There's such a massive overlap between those of us who have these conditions and those of us who seek comfort through substances, because it's the only thing that'll switch that, make that switch happen, right, for a lot mm -hmm. of us. And so I think it's really important yeah. to recognize that, that intersection. Yeah. And, you know, what, what they don't really talk about with, with like healing and even, even though I feel like I could see the end of it is that we don't really talk about how much all that hurts and how much all that sucks. Right. Like uh, I knew because I'm autistic that what was going on in the religious environment I grew up in was wrong from a very young age. And I basically made a conscious decision to dissociate for the rest of my childhood. And I've been putting myself back together ever since. Like, that's awful. And it's mm. a lot of work to put it back together. But I tell you what, I would rather put it back together without drowning at the bottom of a bottle. You know, I would rather be able to notice those signs because even if something like, even if I can recognize that something hurts, if it's still like, wow, I would not have even made that choice a year ago, two years ago, I would have done something else and I would have, things would have been worse. Um, 
you know, there's a there's a really good uh, Medium article that I used to read, like at least once a year. I think it was written in, and I can link it to you. Oh, it was written in 2016, um, and it's by Christy Coulter, who actually wrote a memoir called uh, "Nothing Good Can Come from This," which is about her experiences with sobriety, among other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read that like as soon as it came out. But th- this Medium article is about, uh, you know, sort of the the mundane parts of sobriety where you just like notice things more and and that causes you to then make other changes. It's not, oh, I'm sober and now the work is done. It's like, oh, I'm mm. sober and now I'm able to actually do healthy striving in a productive direction and the work's not done, but I would rather be here than where I was before, which is a very okay. like reasonable attitude to have towards it. Getting sober allows us to advance. I think, but that's not the perspective that I had when I started this whole thing. I was like, oh, if I just get sober, everything will be different. Now I'm four years into the whole thing, like, um, and I'm uncovering, it's like layers of an onion, but yeah, the onion's on fire. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's hot. You're like, you're like trying to be careful how you touch it. <laughs> it's a little spicy. So yeah, it's, it's, it's astonishing, but that's, I think that's a really great observation that sobriety is what empowers us to be able to access those parts of ourselves so that we can move forward and, and really, you know, step into our own light. What a, what a powerful way of thinking about it. It lets you actually like feel your feelings in your body, which is a, is a thing I didn't know how to do until very recently. And now lots of things make sense, right? Because now I'm like, okay, so when my brain is busy stressing out about, or or here's, an, here's a pool example, is I'm, say I'm playing a lower ranked player than me, which means that I might approach that, the pool table with the attitude of, well, I should beat them, right? And maybe that's true, but also pool is handicapped, right? It It's by skill level, which means that if the rules have been set up properly, that should actually level the playing field. But all of us still approach that table being like, I should be able to beat this person. So you can as a competitive of, bowler, I totally understand. <laughs> so you can like <laughs> imposter syndrome yourself, right? To be like, well, I yeah. should absolutely be able to beat this person because I'm a higher rank, but the whole way the game is set up is meant for that not to be the case. And so so then you're in your head, and then and then maybe they win the first game. And they only needed to win two games, and you need to win three or four. And now you're like, well, they're, they only need one more game and then they win and you can start to get really defeatist. And if you are not in a place where you could start to do some metacognition about that and, and like allow that fear to like, just like feel the fear that you're going to lose for a minute and let it go. You know, if you can't do that, then you're one of those people that storms away from the table, bang, and they're pull cue and they're like, ah, blah, blah, or, or worse. <laughs> one of the people at the end who's like, I should have won that game. And you're like, should you have? Or were you just like not in control of your emotions and you lost because you couldn't get it together? You know, one of the things, I mean, maybe maybe this makes sense to you because of the example you just gave. But like when you're when you're like bowling in a competitive match, like you said, and there's a and there's that handicap system, at least in my mind, it's a lot easier for a a more handicapped player. to bowl better than it is for a higher ranked player in essence like there's more room for there's more room for a, a higher handicapped player to, to 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 play better like for example i was bowling up against a guy i was going up a guy against a guy that had like over a 200 average right i only had like maybe a 165 170 average right so i have more handicap than him if i bowl 10 pins over my average, I'm winning every game. But yeah. if this guy bowls 10 pins below his average, he's going to lose every game because he's not getting any points. You know what I mean? So like, it's a lot more likely that I'm going to do good. And then he, if he falters just a little bit, he's not winning at all. So yeah. it's like, as long as you, so my point is as long as people go, as long as you go in there and you you don't get you don't psych yourself out and you play the game that you know how to play you're going to beat him because you're a better player than him right but that's the key is the not psyching yourself out right i've been oh, yeah. I've been looking this year for a way to measure my improvement at pool that isn't tied to win or loss and the reason I think that's important is because you could play a really good game of pool and you could know you played a really good game of pool and you could still have lost 
because your opponent did something right. Like maybe it's not always the case that like you make a mistake and your opponent capitalizes on it. Right. Sometimes you're just Mm -hmm. playing somebody who had a better spread than you did, or they made a better decision than you did. There's a lot of reasons why you could lose that don't mean that you did something dumb or that you failed. Let me, let me ask you this. If you, if, if you had a game exactly like that, right. You played every shot exactly the way you wanted to, but just the ball, like the balls weren't falling and the other guy did the exact same thing and his balls were falling. Right. And you lose right now. Would you say, what are you going to do? He, he just, it, the, they were falling for him. They weren't falling for me. That's just how it goes. Is that how you are now? That's how I aspire to be. It's not an okay. example I get to see very often, right? Mm-hmm. Because like uh, pool is an old man sport. And like, I want to punch whoever started this rumor that women are more emotional. Because have you ever watched men watch football or play pool or worse, do both <laughs> at the same time? Or make decisions for the country. <laughs> like, just like, uh... they're, they're just, they're just like, I, oh, and, and they're saying weird stuff like, well, you know, they didn't really win that game. I just lost. And I'm like, that doesn't even make sense, man. Like, that's, that's not good sportsmanship. And that doesn't even make sense. I realize you think it's making you feel better in this moment, but it would actually be better if we all had a way of evaluating our ability to do healthy striving in a productive direction rather than just wins and losses. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. But you know, and even the people that like don't drink when they play pool can still throw a little pity party for themselves when they lose. Right. The sobriety doesn't fix that for you. You still have to do the work, right. Mm -hmm. It just makes it possible for you to notice maybe that you're doing that and then course correct. Um, And like some formats of pool player are better than others for, for the pressure that is on you to beat a lower rank player. Um, but either way, like it, it's the same with lifting. Like I'm not going in to the gym every day to be like, I have to beat all the national records today. That sounds dumb when you say it like that. Right. Which is why it also sounds dumb. If you are not a professional level pool player and you go anywhere and expect to win all of your matches. Like that's not how it works. That's an unreasonable expectation. So Mm -hmm. like have more reasonable expectations for yourself and then, which gives you more opportunities to feel like you won, not the match maybe, but the day, Um, Mm. you know, Tim, Tim Ferriss, who for all of his, like, whatever, he might have some issues with being a little too heavily capitalist, but there's a couple things that he has said that have really changed in my life. And one of them is this idea that you should try to set yourself up to have three wins every day. And if you go to the gym, one of them is literally just going to the gym. You walked in that door. Great. Win You're going to do something, right? And so if you could do that, then that's a win. If I go to pool league and I don't feel bad about what happened that night, that's a win. You know, and so like- you sort of change the change what success looks like. I love the qualitative aspect of it because even in my work, um, I, you know, thinking about thinking about weightlifting and all those things aside, like even in my work, after I do a project, I send out a satisfaction survey to see if everybody had a good time, like w- working with my team, and that's our most important metric. Like winning work is a really good uh, is a is a really great thing. Like we want money, right? And we have found through a lot of research that folks who are satisfied at work, like in this particular role, tend to win more. So we prioritize that qualitative aspect of life as well. And I think, I, th- I love how you're not thinking about just boiling it down to wins and losses, but like, what what was your experience like as well? Yeah. And you know, I think the ADHD, dealing with my ADHD really helped in building that philosophy, because there's one of the things that I've heard from a couple different places is when it comes to ADHD is lower the bar until you can get over it. And so one like very sort of trivial example is that like I I have these big hobbies, right? And I have a really big job. And uh it is really hard for me to keep track of my household chores sometimes, right? I live alone and I'm I'm responsible for everything. I have to bring home the bacon and I have to cook it and then I have hobbies and also I need to clean the bathroom. Like Can I just say <laughs> cooking bacon sucks. I hate it. <laughs> Do it in the oven. 
you know what? I'm going to do that next time. Do it in the oven. I, I do it on a, I get a baking sheet and then like one of those wire rack cooling racks. Most of them are oven safe too. And you put the bacon on top of that. So then the bacon fat goes in the bottom. And if you want to be really lazy, you put foil in the baking sheet. So then you don't even have to clean it up afterwards. And then you can save the bacon fat for your egg. Yeah. Yep. You could do that. Or you could just throw all of the aluminum foil away and you don't have to, either way, you're not scrubbing bacon fat off a pan. Face right now, you've revealed a, a vast mixed mystery. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> are you gonna make bacon? Are you gonna make bacon this week now, Dan? I might. Yeah. We're at, I'm I'm taking um I'm taking Michelle to Fogo de Chao tonight for our anniversary. Oh, yeah. nice. So there 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 will be some bacon wrapped steak. So maybe you know. my favorite Solid. my favorite item there. Don't they have chicken hearts? Is that the place? They have chicken hearts. No. Chicken hearts? What? They do like they do like okay. They make these okay. I shouldn't tell anybody this. That's like my favorite thing. What the fuck? No, it's like these little nuggets. Like okay, I'll stop. Sorry. (laughs) Who are you? (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) Like everybody, they do the meat shaving. It's the meat shaving place, right? They come around with like the pole of it and they shave it off. No, no, no. They have chicken hearts too. Have you been there? I've literally never seen that at well, this place. Maybe it's a different. Maybe maybe I went to a different. Yeah, place. Uh, you okay. might have to order it a la carte. Oh, that, they're worth it. They sound horrific. They're the tastiest thing. It, I don't. Maybe that's where I got my strength from. Isn't that what sweetbreads are? Organ meat. Oh, sweetbreads. Fancy, like yeah. Yes, I've heard of sweetbreads. Someone talked about this the other day. You know, when right around Thanksgiving time, someone at my job was like, "You know what? You should try." You should try, you should try chitlins. You should. I was like, I was like, oh yeah. You know, I was like, I've never heard of that before, but this, this woman usually like, usually like just runs her mouth about random shit all the time. And like, I'm just like, oh yeah. Okay. All right. And then, and then I'm like, then I go home and I look at it. I'm like, that shit's nasty. Okay, listen. Have you ever had head cheese? It's a horrible name for it. Oh. I see. I see Sweetbreads is a culinary name for the thymus or pancreas, typically from calf or lamb. They're, they'll cover it in buffalo. No, 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 no. No, it's oh, here's the problem. I love weird food. It's so good. It's no, they fry it up. They fry it up and then they put buffalo sauce on it at this place in New Orleans where I used to live. And they would, and then it's like lava hot, and they cover it with buffalo sauce. And, mm, that sounds good to me. I would eat it. Have you ever? Have you guys ever had Rocky Mountain oysters? Yes. You have? Oh, of course no. you have. You're from Colorado. Test their testicles. I knew they That's were balls. Easy. I just <laughs> couldn't remember one. <laughs> they don't taste like anything. You know what's so funny? I'm actually looking online at this um, it uh, at this website, and it's they have um smoked Rocky Mountain oysters, and it it literally. The way that they sliced it, it looks just like smoked turkey. And it's just... Uh, <laughs> okay, so uh, Dan's, Dan's not an adventurous eater. It's okay. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> it's okay. Hey. I just recently started eating lobster, okay? I'm getting there, all okay. right? Okay. I love crawfish. I will say that. I love me some good crawfish. Okay. I have a good joke about a guy that I know who took a one-armed lady to a crawfish boil, but we'll save that for another. We'll save that for another episode. What the fuck? <laughs> this is the first date. It's a long story. <laughs> that's what that's what happens when you live in New Orleans. So, <laughs> so Frankie, you live in one of you know if we're talking about New Orleans. Vegas is in the same is in the same boat here. You live in one of the drinking and party capitals of the world, right? So, how do you like? What's your secret to? to stay on the rails in an environment like that? Well, my social life mostly revolves around pool. So I don't, I don't go to bars with friends just to drink. Mm. And I haven't done that probably since before the pandemic. Um, so there's always like some other type of activity, which I tend to need anyway, because I, I don't know if it's the ADHD, which I don't know which variety of my neurodivergence it is, but I, it's probably the ADHD. I can't tolerate boredom. And other people bore me really easily. I need something else to do. So I need like, I either need there to be lots of people so I could just move to another conversation. Right. Or, or I need something to do. So pool is great because like my, basically my entire social circle in Vegas plays pool. 
So we, we are always down to go to a pool hall, right? But really, I, I'm not doing a whole lot of ad hoc social planning because most of us either play pool three, four or five nights a week or some of us run leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, so like there's just on any given night, somebody's playing pool somewhere and I can just do that. Even when we have, um, I'll go to parties that like one of my friends has a really big house out here and he'll have parties like I spent Thanksgiving and Christmas and Halloween and Super Bowl there. Um, and he's got a pool table. So we're still, even when we're at a house party, we're still playing pool. <laughs> so we're like right. doing stuff, right? And uh, yeah, and for the most part, most of the people that know that that like would be likely to try to get me a drink know that I don't drink anymore. Mm. And actually, there's a fair amount of people who are sober who play pool, actually. Uh, I, between the people that like either don't drink until after they're done shooting or people who are just sober like there's a uh one of the things i did once i was like yeah no this is permanent this is i'm not gonna drink again because there's no redeeming qualities to this uh i told the one of the guys in my league who will come he'll like wear the like sober shirts right like he's a little more open about it and i was like yeah you know i quit drinking and he was like i've been sober for 16 years he was like i'm gonna check up on you about that and i was like great um you know and uh so it's, I think it's for the types of activities that I usually do, this is going to be pretty easy. It would be much harder if I think if I was trying to date, but I'm not, and I will cross that bridge when I come to it. But I suspect that at this point in my life, given how successful I am in my life and my particular like neurodivergence and trauma history and yada, 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 I, I just think that mass market dating tactics are probably not going to help me ever again. Uh, if they ever did at all, that's, that's, that's a discussion for a different day. Um, Listen, we're or, not conventional people. So sometimes we need some non-conventional tactics. You know, I think it's much more likely that I would meet a future partner either in a neurodivergent space, right. Or like through in, in a professional environment somehow. Um, Cause I, I'm not trying to like date around in the in the pool scene here in Las Vegas because it's not act Las Vegas is not actually that big. Yeah. Uh so I'm not trying to do all that like um so that's just yeah. I think it, it would be di- it would be different if I was trying to go on dates. But given what I do in my life right now it's it's been pretty pretty okay. Um yeah. Hasn't been too bad. Uh, every now and then I have to remind somebody that like, I'm no, I really don't buy me a drink. I don't drink alcohol any, anymore. But that happens very few and far between. And usually when that other person is wasted. Mm-hmm. Your point about dating is very well taken. It is difficult. And this may be something that we should ask some of our future guests to dive into with some, with some more detail. It is really hard to be a sober person trying to date a, uh, someone who isn't or uh, alternatively the sober pool is pretty small um so so what a what a really good point to be brought up because i'm at the same point in my life too like i'm working real hard in my career i've got this got the strongman stuff got these podcasts that we're up to right like all kinds of other things but and you're 37 years old and i'm 30 i'm 37 give me my cane and my walker and my dentures (laughs) give it up i said to Catherine before i said did you know that you can sign up for AARP even though you're not 55. I think I heard that on an earlier podcast. Information. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. But you know what? The the age, the only reason why age would be a factor in your dating prospects is either if you were trying to have kids, which I'm not, um, or if like you are at the age where your age appropriate cohort is trying to have kids, which that I think is our problem right now. Yes, at least it's my problem them. right is that yeah. people either they already have kids and they're small mm-hmm. if you already have kids and they're like 15 we can talk about it but like i'm not cohabitating with children right i made this decision not to have kids a long time ago i'm not a step parent i'm not living with kids yeah. i'm no you want me Man, to give them some real kids. life advice but that's fine but like you know i i am one of the handful of very lucky women who was able to get my tubes tied like that yeah. decision's been done, made. We're out of here. Um, but like people my age, they either they either might have small children or they think they still want kids. And like if you're like if you're a lesbian and you want kids, like more power to you. Please, please go out and do that with someone else. Uh, but if you're a man and you're my age and you're like, 
I want kids and, and you're like 40, there are lots of women I know who want kids. If you are a 40 year old man and you're single and you've been single for a long time and you say you want kids, I want to know what's wrong with you because you, sh- <laughs> you should have been successful a long time ago. So what, what are you doing wrong? Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's all complicated. You can't like, I've tried dating in the rooms of AA. May I recommend against me? Oof. Poor, poor decision-making skills in that, well, in that, just, in that here's, discussion. Here's, <laughs> here's the way, here's the way I look at it. And maybe you guys would agree because I, I mean, I, I, like I've said before, I, I've, I've said it to Catherine before. I've said it to my, to my recent guests. I myself am not in recovery. Okay. I, I, I said it to our, to our last guest. I could have a drink. I could not have a drink. Alcohol does not affect me in that way. Substances do not affect me in that way whatsoever. But I stumbled upon this career. I love it. And that's why I've committed my life to it. Now, I've I've had a lot of clients or patients that have dated in the AA circles. And they're like, why isn't this working? And I'm like, well... Let me put it to you this way. You started dating someone off the rip. You know that they have a drug or an alcohol problem, right? Yeah. Isn't that why you're there? Why would you want to start a relationship like that? And they're like, oh, I didn't really think about it like that. And I'm like, listen, there's no, there's nothing wrong with dating someone who is in recovery. Like if you met someone, Frankie, if you met someone, let's just say a couple of years down the road, you started vibing with them, you like them, you want to start a relationship with them, whatever. And then you come to find out that they're in recovery. They tell you that they're in recovery and you're like, oh shit, I'm in recovery too. Right. And it's just like a night, it, like, like it's not, it's not something that comes up right off the rip. Now I'm not saying that that should define someone that the fact that they're in recovery, but like they have the same goals as you. It should theoretically be a bonus, right? That like you have some shared understanding and really right. almost everybody is in recovery from something, yeah. right? Like either they have some sort of trauma, right? Or they have like a lot of times I will, I will, you know, be like, oh, blah, blah, in my recovery. And I'm talking about an A score of four and multiple domestic violent relationships, right? Like mm-hmm. then- can you tell us real quick, because you've brought up the ACE score, and for those of us who aren't familiar with that, can you tell us a little bit more about what, what you mean when you're, when you're talking yeah. about that? Yeah, it's called the Adverse Childhood Experiences, and it's a, it's a questionnaire of 10 questions, so your ACE score is, you know, zero to 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if you have an ACE score of four or higher, it's likely that the damage caused to you in childhood by trauma in some form or another is bad enough. How do you spell to- that? ACE? ACE score. Yeah. I thought you kept saying A score. Ace, yeah. Adverse childhood experiences, it's an acronym. And so if you have a score of four or higher, right, that, that means that like you, the the trauma you experienced in childhood, the abuse you experienced in childhood, it, like becomes an underlying condition for health problems. Among other things, like uh, but you know, I, I've met people who have an A score of eight. Right? Like, and, and it's it's all kinds of things, right? And so if you are if your childhood was bad like that, even if you don't know it, you're still recovering from it. <laughs> and you're going to recover from it for the rest of your life because here's here's the thing is that uh, complex PTSD, which sort of covers a lot of different things. I, I anticipate that 50 years from now, complex PTSD will actually be a variety of separate things and not all lumped into one. It's not in the DSM-5 yet, even though like there's a lot of evidence to demonstrate that it ought to have been. Mm-hmm. Um so there's a lot of problems with the DSM-5. But uh, trauma, when you are, especially in your developmental years, can give you ADHD and autism. It's not necessarily genetic. It can happen to you from neglect and abuse when you're a child, right? We know that fetal alcohol syndrome can also create neurodivergence, mm-hmm. right? And and so can trauma once you after you've been born, right? Experiencing certain types of neglect. And even if you don't know that you are dealing with that, like your brain architecture could still have been altered by the way that you were treated as a child. Um, And uh, I think where I was going with this was that 
everybody is in some form of a recovery and people should maybe consider relationships to be a thing that requires more work from the jump than they think it does. We've been told by media and pop culture and all this stuff that, well, when it's right, it's not going to be hard work. That's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. loving someone is a decision every day to continue to figure out how to make that work. They're going to change. You're going to change. I mean, I, we, we like to say people don't change, but actually they, they do. Um, and you shouldn't be manipulating them into changing for you, but you should be anticipating that if you have started a relationship with someone who also has self-development plans that they're going to change and you should have self-development plans. You should be changing. And we all just need to get a little bit more emotionally mature about how we handle relationships. And we, we just expect it to be like straightforward and easy. Like it was in high school, but like anybody who's ever dated anybody in high school, those, those breakups were excruciating and we didn't have any emotional Uh, skills to handle it. So like, There was no time in the past where love was perfect. Your parents' marriage wasn't perfect. Your grandparents' marriage, your grandmother was absolutely coerced to be in that relationship with your grandfather in some form or another, even if she ended up loving him in the end. Like, you don't have any examples of love just working out or true love winning overall. That is a myth. It's it's hard work. Healthy striving, which is like the theme. (laughs) that I have with this as again as someone who shares a lot of the neurodivergences that you're talking about is that I believed media when it told me certain things and this is a part of this plays into my addiction as well because it's like well why can't I because you know people who have autism we look at we look at the uh, examples that are put forth to us in media so that we know how to interact with other people so we don't look like you know aliens from a different planet and I think that yeah. it's, I think it's really it's really difficult with the way that all of these things are portrayed that people like us believe that and we have to deprogram again to deprogram ourselves and be like no there's nothing wrong with me there's something wrong with this portrayal of it and me drinking about it is not going to help the situation so I'm really I'm really glad that you made that observation too um, because that's something that's, that's been very very challenging for me in my own relationships. Well, how many people do you know that were like, you know, I went on this date and it wasn't that great, but we had a couple drinks and it was okay. Right. Where like the alcohols mm-hmm. moved over. This is the other thing that, that not drinking alcohol has been doing for me is it makes it much easier for me to say no. No to dates, no to social events, no to things. No, I'm not going to respond to that thing on Twitter. No, I'm not going to engage with that drama. No, I'm not going to do this, that or the other, because I get to make a choice now. Alcohol isn't going to smooth it over and make me compliant with whatever's going on around me. I will say this, and I'm and I'm not saying this to toot my own horn, but before I met Michelle, I went on quite a few dates just because, you know, that's just the type of person that I was before I met Michelle. And like a lot of these women were just plain. They were really just plain. And like, Someone, I I heard a comedian say this and it was like, it just made sense. And like, there were like, my friends would ask me like, how the date go? I was like, oh, it went great. And they're like, well, you see, are you going to see her again? They're like, eh, probably not. And they're like, but you had a good time. And I'm like, yeah, I had a good time because I was there. Like I crushed it. (laughs) Yo, I I used to say the same thing. (laughs) No, no, but I'm not saying that like, like she was just boring. Like I remember one time I took I I took I took this girl to a to a restaurant and she literally sat she was like, "Oh, let me take a picture of my food." Right? And then she literally just sat there the whole time texting her friends. I'm like, "Bitch, I just spent $50 on that food for you." And you like, can't even pay attention to the conversation. Yeah, like my my eyes are up here. My my version of that yeah, same yeah. <laughs> my version of that same energy used to be like, oh yeah, of course the sex was good. I was participating. Yeah. Oh, why did you just put me in your meme? Why did you just put me in there, Frankie? Stop. I was like, I'm no. of course the sex was good because I'm amazing, right? <laughs> oh my god! And then when you start looking for someone else who's not boring right who's good at those things and you're like oh this is very hard (laughs) it's such bullshit that we have these revelations now i'm like what do i do with this information that i was sleeping with people for validation like what do i do with that information now like you know great cool you know what i get to do now i I get to casually make comments like oh yeah i mean 
you know, someday when we get high, I'll tell you about the stripper I banged in Jamaica. Like, I, I get to be like, oh, you want to know what it's like to to have sex at a at a sex club in the fishbowl with a bunch of people watching? I can tell you about that, right? And I get to I get to brag about all these things that I used to do while like not actively participating in any of them anymore, which I think makes me sound pretty cool. So, but do, here's the but here's the hard thing <laughs> question: Are you taking pictures of your food? Only when it's like exceptional because okay. i have some real foodie friends that's fair let me tell you something I, and again i love i love talking about food just because food is one of my passions even though i'm not really that adventurous of an eater this restaurant that i'm going to tonight it's a chain restaurant so you guys should definitely look into it i'm definitely sure that they have one in vegas have you guys ever been, been to one of the i've been to you've been to Chicago. Oh, then you know how amazing it is. Yeah. That cheese with the honey on top. Oh, it's so yeah. good. It's like the last food that I, oh, here's something interesting about sobriety. The last restaurant, like the last really nice restaurant that I ate at where I took a picture of my food was a Peruvian restaurant in Half Moon Bay. Because I haven't actually, like, I didn't quit drinking that long ago. But in that time, I managed to make it through New Year's, the Super Bowl, and one of my best friend's weddings. Um, and so I was in Half Moon Bay for this wedding. And at this Peruvian restaurant by myself. And because I don't drink alcohol, now I get to look at the non-alcoholic beverages on the menu. And some of them are chef's kiss. This, I think it was called, hold on, I'm going to look it up and make sure I don't mispronounce this. I think it was like cheetah, morada. It's it's made from purple corn. Yeah, chicha morada. It's I made from purple corn. corn and it's, it's a little spice. It's fucking delicious. It's, and it has like... As complex a flavor profile as any stout or wine you've ever drank, right? Just like wow. spectacular beverage. And I was like, wow, I never would have even looked at this part of the menu before. Frankie, will you send us a link to what you found there so we can put that in the show notes so yeah. that people who are looking for mocktails, maybe they can have a good suggestion. That would be really, that would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really important to have the opportunity to, um, to have fancy things because for me with my drinking the reason I I thought that it was so important in my life like I worked at wine bars I became a wine expert like very sophisticated wines you know I, I wasn't a sommelier by any stretch but I was working under like level five sommeliers um and and I thought that I was so sophisticated but then but then you know 10 years later I find myself with a wine jug hooked around my <laughs> hooked around my arm just drinking from the six dollar from the six dollar bottle from the grocery store a little bit less sophisticated but in the beginning i thought that it was a very sophisticated thing and so to be able to have a sophisticated beverage with your steak a lot of people feel like oh gosh i'm gonna have to sacrifice but this is really wonderful to know that there's options for folks you know and here's the other thing i first of all i i don't even though i do drink here and there i am not sophisticated at all and it's like you could tell me like you could tell me the craziest shit about like a certain type of wine. First of all, I'm not a wine person. I don't like wine. I think it's ridiculous you that practice. it's like, you could tell me like, Oh, this, you know, like how, you know, like how they have that coffee that was like, that's like, it's like poop coffee. It's yeah, like the little, the little marmoset scoop it out or whatever. Yeah, on Amazon. Yeah, like, you could tell me, you it's, could tell me that the wine the was made from grapes that were shat out by like, an elephant somewhere in India or something. And it has notes of caramel and chocolate and fucking, you know, I. Barnyard. I just, barnyard is an actual flavor description for wines. It has a yeah. barnyard. It has a barnyard note to it. That's and you know what? It's just, it's just a bunch of people yeah. making shit up. It is, you know, and of the, of the things that I, when I was a drinker, like of the things that I have been known to do with alcohol is like, I started drinking uh, Knob Creek in San Francisco, mm -hmm. not because Knob Creek is delicious because it most definitely is not. Uh, I started drinking Knob Creek because if I could sip that shit straight, the men in tech I was working with had to take me seriously. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Because you have to be a woman who drinks whiskey in order to get any respect. Right. I had to drink something that was going to put hair on my chest. Exhausting. Like it is so exhausting to be a woman. And I just, I'm, Listen, I'm just... if you want, if you want hair on your chest, I could give you some. <laughs> you don't have to drink whiskey to have hair on your chest. 
you know, well, you know, and, and since then I've come a long way in my career and I've, I've taken the right set of risks where like now I have a big title. So now you have to take me seriously because I get to tell you that I'm head of engineering, but you know, there were a lot of alcohol played a, I mean, this is, this could probably be an entire episode of the show. I actually just did a Twitter thread on this earlier today where I was like, you should stop having work events where alcohol is a primary feature. Um, and like, you know, just real quick content warning, like of the many things that I have witnessed happen at alcohol infused work events are sexual assaults, including my own. Right. And like, uh, or, or somebody says something while they're inebriated and then they get fired the next day, or they have all these anti-fraternization policies, but they're shoving alcohol in your face every chance you get. And then they wonder why people are sleeping together. What are you doing? They drive home drunk from from work events, and there's liability associated with that. We should we should have you back and have an episode about about how about yeah. how uh, employers can because it's something that's very top of mind for me. And I'm seeing tech firms starting to move away from it. I'm so grateful for it, but it's yeah. it's a really it's very damaging when you're a recovering alcoholic and the Christmas basket has a damn bottle of champagne. You know, like no right, and, and they're not even about thinking that. about that. Yeah, you know, I had a yeah. somebody who used to report to me at a previous job got some advice from me on a current job search. And he was like, you know, I was going to ask for your address because I was going to send you a bottle of something. And then I remembered that you quit drinking. He was like, so can I, can I send you a gift card to a dispensary? And I was like, I don't know if you could buy gift cards at dispensaries, <laughs> but I will send you the one I go to. And if you could figure that out, cool. Otherwise it's no big deal. But he thought about it. And I was like, man, I appreciate that. Fair. Uh, you know, and, and then he was like, yeah, no, let's get you a gift card to a dispensary. Can, <laughs> can we bring back the time where it is socially acceptable to send people gift cards? There is nothing wrong with a gift card. I mean, I think depending on where you are, it, it, it is, I think it's, I think it's better. I think it, unless you are, cause gift giving is a skill, unless you have that mm. skill and you know that other person really well, you should just send them a gift card. Because that way they can get something they actually want. Here's my autism ADHD brain. In my phone, I have a notes folder. And in the folder um, has everybody who's important to me. And under that is a list of things they like. Ah. Because that's because I'm terrible. I'm awful at giving gifts. Like I get on Amazon. I'm like, I have no idea what this person would want. And I have like five people. They're all cancers. Yes, I have green hair and I can tell you about astrology. But every cancer I know can give gifts. Like if, it's just the, it's just their natural. And I'm like, how do you do it? And they're like, oh, well, I just keep a list of all the things. Okay, fine. I'll do it too. Like, yep. It makes you know life what a lot I do? Easier. I take Michelle's phone while she's sleeping and I just go golf clubs, golf clubs, tailor-made golf clubs, <laughs> brand new golf clubs. I just say random stuff into her phone and then it just pops up now, but she's, she's really good at paying attention. Like she pays attention to things that I, uh, to the things that I point out, like when we're walking around, I'm like, Oh, that's really cool. I'd love to have that. And then like, she'll go back. Like if my birthday's coming up, she'll, she'll go back to the store and she'll buy it. Like I just got there. We just went to old, we've been going to old Navy recently. Like a lot of like everywhere we go out, we'd happen to walk past an old Navy and we'd go in and I'd see this one shirt. And I'm like, oh, shit, that's a really nice shirt. And then one day on her birthday, she's out with her parents. They go into an Old Navy. She finds the shirt. It happened to be on sale. She went and bought it for me for Valentine's Day. I'm like, you should probably marry her. I am. I am. <laughs> I am marrying her. Just saying. Lock that down. <laughs> I mean, I'm good. I'm really good at receiving gifts. Giving gifts, on the other hand, not so much. I prefer to give people the gift of my quality time because what could be better than spending time with me? For Mother's Day, <laughs> I took a giant bow and I slapped it on my head and I was like, I'm your gift. I mean, there, there were a wide variety of places you could have put that bow. So props to you for putting it in the rated G place. <laughs> <laughs> you know what else I wish about gift giving? I wish everyone would take a page out of the autistic playbook and when i say what do you want for your birthday just answer me please just tell us don't dance around it you know what i make a fucking lot of money if i want to buy you a fucking birthday present i'm gonna fucking do it the only question is do you want it to be something you actually wanted and are willing to tell me what that is or do you want me to make it up those are your choices <laughs> okay <laughs> these are your choices yes, card. <laughs> You know, and and sometimes I know better, right? Like I, I have like my my uh, favorite person in in Vegas. He had a birthday 
last fall and I, I got him a birthday cake flavored joint. So I was like, this will make his night, which it did. Right. And that's very easy. <laughs> right. But some, for other people, if I'm like, if I've asked you, it probably means I don't have a good idea and you should just tell me before I get you earrings you don't like. Oh I my got, God. I got somebody Michelle. earrings and her ears aren't pierced. Oh. oh, I forgot that her ears weren't pierced because she always wears clip-ons and she's like, it's okay. I can use them as a brooch. And they're like, not cheap earrings. And I, I just wanted to crawl under the table. I was like, oh no. Some friend you are. I, it's, I know. Zero. I got an F. I got an F on that. Last year for Michelle's birthday, I kind of I kind of cheaped out. I got her this little it's like a little zipper pouch mm -hmm. and it says because she's she's a type one diabetic. So she has to carry like her insulin and just carry like her, her um, glucometer around with her and all that stuff. So I got her a little bag and on the side of the bag, it just says all of my diabetes shit. It's pretty useful. It was twelve ninety nine on Etsy. You know what she got me for my birthday that that year? A pair of sneakers. Like I suck at getting gifts. <laughs> like right. I'm the type of I'm the type of guy that'll be like, I'll spend twelve like ten dollars on a gift. I'll be like, it's the thought that counts. Like, remember that time you went to that one place like three years ago and we did that thing and you and you laughed and you thought it was funny? Well, here ten dollars, right? Crowd just and crowdsource it, it next time. Just put it on social media, ask ask us what you should get for it. Okay. Well, well, I'm taking her to this expensive ass dinner. Good choice. That that should count for something. <laughs> That's amazing. All right, Frankie, we're almost at the end of our time. So, yes. what's what's one thing if folks could take away one key message from what your from what your sobriety journey looks like today? What would you tell them? Good question. Uh, I think the answer is that you need to lower the bar until you can get over it and make your incremental changes. Whatever uh, whatever amount of perfectionism you have left over, thanks, mom and dad, you should work on uh, because you need to be okay with getting things partially right until you can get them all the way right. Um, and just be nice to yourself. But it, this is a whole journey, and this is a journey you go on for the for the rest of your the rest of your life. It's not a it's not a destination, and so treat it like that. Wise words from a strong focused and successful guest. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, Dan, is it time for our, is it time to close things out? Yes, it is. Okay. okay. So stick around after we stop recording. So I'll do after I do my, my little shit here. So, <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Thank you everybody for tuning in. If you enjoyed this conversation and you'd like to hear more about the sober highway, go ahead and check us out on all the major podcasting platforms. We are on Apple, uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Go ahead and check us out on all of our social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Get involved with our TikTok campaign to get AJ McLean of the Backstreet Boys on the Sober Highway podcast. All right. If you have any questions or if you want to be a guest on the, on the show, uh, reach out to us on any of the social media uh, accounts. You could DM us or shoot us an email to uh, the sober highway at gmail.com. Be sure to check out our sponsor brainwashed coffee company. If you go to their website, brainwashedcoffeeco.com, and you use the promo code sober highway at checkout, you'll get $5 off your first order. And KB, do you want to plug your socials? Yeah. Come join me at, uh, on TikTok and Instagram at warmaiden underscore official on both platforms. Happy to talk about strongman embracing the suck and sobriety from a weightlifters perspective. Frankie, what about you? Yeah. You could find me on Instagram at FRFR Frankie, like for real, for real Frankie. And then, uh, FKN.fit on TikTok. I just changed it today. So I had to look it up. <laughs> Do me a favor, Frankie, send me uh, in our group chat, uh, our group text, just send me those handles and I'll plug them in the show notes. Um, And also check out those two music videos I sent you. I want to hear what you guys think. I will also post the link to those two videos in the show notes and let us know what you think, who won the rap battle between Eminem and MGK, even though this is kind of an old thing, we really want to hear it. So that is it, everybody. And we will catch you next week. Bye. Thanks. Thanks.